Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Mark to introduce today's sermon. Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho welcomes you to part two in our series, Marks of a Living Church. Christ calls his believers to help others come to him in much the same way as helping a neighbor. In Christ, you help others know what you know as he disciples believers. Today's message shares the discipleship of Christ to give his answer to a dying world. The point is, do I love the Lord enough to give him all of my life, to seek him in the kingdom first in everything I do? Because if that is the, the true, then everything in my life he will add to. Even that verse, seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God loves to add. He loves to multiply to those who are healthy. And that health is defined by a sincere love of the Lord. And everything that entails and comes after it. Now, as we desire to understand what it means to be a healthy church, what it means to grow, and you may come to a point where you'll cry out like Hannah, give me a child or I'm going to die. That's the idea of, of multiplying that love and the relationships. We're built to be connected. And the whole point where we're going in the series is to understand that the way God has built us and every human being, they love to be loved. They, they want to, they must, we need to be connected. And sitting and listening to a message is good, if the message is good, but that's not being connected. There may be a connection here. Some people may understand, may get, and I can see it in the eyes, and they're like, yes. But that connection does not transform per se. Disciple-making is a lifelong dedication and pursuit from one to another. Where do you live? People follow you at your home because they want to be around you or you want to be around them. And, and then when you open the door of your own home, they become part of your life. And you come to a point where the, it climaxes to the point where I can't live without being in touch with you. And that's how they were connected to the Lord Jesus. Now, as we seek all these, there's dangers that prowl, dangers that attack the church. And this may actually be the answer of why must I be part of a healthy church? And just to cut to the chase, why are we called to understand that what church really is, is that home group fellowship. What happens on Sunday is the celebration, it's the joy, it's the charging of the batteries, but the life of the church happens in your home. Happens in that connection with your brothers and sisters where you ask questions because they mean something to you of what does the Bible tell me to do in this situation? Because I want to do it, but I don't understand. In, in sermons, you don't really raise your hand. Oh, I wish you did, because if you did, I'd answer. You don't raise your, your hand in sermons, right? Because you want to keep on going. What time is it? We've got to keep going. But in a home group, when you sit down and you rest, the whole idea of a home group 
is relaxing your soul. And that's what the Lord says. You must eat this bread and eat from the Word of God. There's dangers that come and they, they, they ravage. They try to ravage your life and ravage the church. There's dangers on the prowl for the church. And we see these in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. There's seven churches listed there. Only two of them are not giving any warning or chastising. Five of them are being told what time it is. And with a warning, you better do something or else. And here we see some of these dangers. The Bible says that Jesus wrote to the angel of all of these churches, to the angel of Ephesus, to the angel of Laodicea. Now, the word angel from the original can be translated both as a a supernatural messenger, but also to a messenger or one that is sent or a servant to the church. So basically, he was writing to the pastor of that church. Imagine I get up on Sunday and say, okay, guys, I got a letter from Jesus. Here's what I got to say. Now, as they're reading these letters to their own congregations, you've got to ask you a question. What would Jesus write to our church? Little Trinity in the middle of the city. What would he say? Kind of scary, isn't it? Because you know yourself. And sometimes we know, we know our motives. Well, no, all the time we know our motives. But sometimes we know they're not the best motives. Well, here's some of the dangers that are on the prowl even for this church. First one is what Ephesus had to deal with, and we call that devotional weakness. Not the fact that they weren't doing devotions, but that they were not devoted. And the Lord says, I have this against you. He starts with, I know all you've done, all your good works, and I know this, that, and the other. But he goes by the things that Jesus says he knows about them real quick. And he ends up right on the most important part. I've got this against you. Wait a minute, Jesus has something against us? What would that be in your life or my life? It's scary, isn't it? But see, aside from our individual walk... We, as a church family, are one before the Lord. We're one entity. We are part of His bride universally. But each one of us as a church, we are responsible. From the elders to the deacons and the church as a whole. No one can say, well, it's not my fault. I'm not the elder. I'm not the deacon. I'm not the pastor. Why are you looking at me? But God knows your heart. He knows how you see things, how you judge things, how you are drawn to or how you push away. He says, I got this against you. You left your first love. You're very religious. Your attendance is perfect. Your giving is exemplary. But you've, you've lost your first love. Well, wait a minute, Lord. What do you want from me? I'm, I'm doing what I can. And the Lord looks at my heart. He goes, I want your heart. I want your first, your passionate. They were devotionally weak. They were not devoted. Next church is Pergamum. I have a few things against you. You have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Uh, this church did not know how to discipline, nor did they discipline because they fear they would lose their members. 
It's one of the things that big churches today have to deal with and one of their weaknesses and dangers because we want the numbers to get the numbers, to get the things. We can't offend anybody. So they had all these people in the church teaching the teachings of Balaam who kept teaching Balak and to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. They lived a life of compromise which a lot of the churches in this country have to deal with today. Uh, it was mentioned in, in searching the scriptures this morning. Well, we don't even have a view really on the gender thing anymore. Forgetting that Genesis says he made them male and female, end of story. If you think anything else, you've lost your mind. By the way, every time they say that my pronoun is they and them, I'm thinking legion right away. There's lots of things living inside you, male and female, end of story. So this church, Pergamum, because they loved their attendance, apparently, they had a doctrinal weakness problem. Doctrinal weakness. You can't teach it all, because if you do, you're going to offend some. Well, you know, anyone, some, and all will not be your judge on that last day. There's one that will be your judge on that last day, and that's Jesus. And he knows the heart. Doctrinal weakness. Thirdly, Revelation 2.20, to the church in Thyatara. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and deceives my slaves or my servants so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Always runs into this deprivation of morality and, and the worship of idols, which takes shapes of many types and things. But again, their problem is that they had a disciplinary weakness. They did not discipline. They did not know how to say the word says so. You can't do this. No church discipline. I have this against you. He goes into the church of Sardis. And there is simply their problem is that they were dead. That's a sad situation and time and place to be as a church. Are dead churches just small churches that dwindle down to five people? Or can they be big churches that have 15,000 people? Now, here's what they were doing. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, This is what he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive. And the church is, looks great. They got a great sign out front, probably with LED lights and all that. Looks good, but, but, but I know what you're doing, but you're dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. We've got to ask the question, what does it mean to be alive then? Because all these things that we want to do and pursue, will they please God or do they please us? Who are we trying to please? Fifthly, we call this the church that's, being, that's damaged and divided. they got no idea which way they want to go. Uh, they're lukewarm. Yeah, we know the church of Laodicea. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. But they had the gall to say, I am rich and I become wealthy and I need nothing. It's running like a machine. We got staff, we got building, we got janitors, it looks good. We got the music and the videos, it looks great. And you do not know that you're wretched you're pitiable and poor, and you don't know because you're blind. You can't see it, and guess what? You're naked. Scary, scary things. 
Do we fit in any one of those? I pray not. I hope not. I believe not. But we want to grow to be a healthy church. What are these principles of a healthy church? We have a couple of biblical examples of what the core of a healthy church looks like. How it operates and why it operates the way it does. We have a saying that I love you in the Lord, but I don't like you very much. People laugh and say, you know, I love the ministry. It's the people I can't stand. We laugh about those, but there's some truth to that. You you hear people once in a while saying, you know what? I just don't like people. Where God says, I love people. And that's the cross. Knowing that as you embrace the cross, you're going to get some, some marks over you. Some splinters, which hurts when you hug people. But the life of a healthy church is a life that, that embraces. A life that has issues. Things break, but they mend. It's being meshed together where you can't tell one from another in the family because this is the life of the church. I know that one thing that our church is known for, first thing that you would think of is that church is very friendly in talking to you, sitting, in, sitting down and, and, and fellowshipping and eating together and laughing and not leaving. It's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock by the time we go home. Can you believe that we don't rush out the door to catch the game? It's because we DVR it. Let's look at some biblical examples of small group ministry. Because we want to do what the Bible says. Before we start looking at the roots, before we look at the being established in the fellowship, before we look at the worship and walking with the Lord and what it means to pray as a church, we're letting we're being taught By the Bible, that this is God's pattern. Okay? Did Jesus do this? Yes, he did. Think of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. The Lord planned out this small group. Two people. Bible study. He went around. He didn't go straight line to where he was headed. He went around to sit by this well and wait. And here comes this woman. And here comes the Bible study. She says, listen, you guys worship there and we worship here. Where should we worship? And he tells that God is seeking for worshipers that are worshiping in spirit and in truth. And here goes the Bible study. Some of the best home group Bible studies we've had have been around a dinner table where people begin to ask the question, Pastor, what about this? text and we begin to open up and say well this is why this is so and then that brings out another question because we're convicted to learn the moment we come down to the brass tacks of why we're alive and how we should live we're not just being told from the pulpit now we're asking questions what do I do tomorrow what do I do with this situation and Jesus is talking to this woman one-on-one And because of the impact in her life, in the one-on-one teaching, she transforms an entire village. They ran to Jesus and they said, listen, until now we believe for what she said, but now we met you. We believe you. We don't need anybody else. And then think of Mary. She's sitting down. Martha's busy cooking, doing the the, the household things as we may be doing the church things. And and Mary says, no, no, I want to listen. I'm taking notes. I'm asking questions. 
Think of Nicodemus. Look at all these one-on-one-on-one-on-one. He comes to Jesus because he's got questions. He's got the religious part down. We know you're sent from God because no one can do the things that you do. And Jesus cuts him off and says, you must be born again. See, in the home groups, the cell groups, which we'll call life groups, you can ask the questions that matter to your soul. In home groups, you can answer the questions that leave you no room to wiggle out of it. Are you born again? Are you going to stop living in sin? Are you going to leave that woman and give your heart to the Lord Jesus? Questions that no one can ask you in a church setting. Because that's why it's safe, isn't it? And sometimes even when you go to a big church, small church, you sit strategically. You sit in a place that's far away from everybody else, but you don't want to be bothered by anybody. In a home group, it gets sweaty, but you may not want that. You may not want to be under God's magnifying glass to really set you free. Do you? Look at the disciples, Matthew 13, 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. All right? There's a place for the crowds. In, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples and the, and the new church, they were in the temple daily and then from house to house daily. Is it possible that the church becomes the main purpose of you being alive and living and the things that you do? Is that possible? Not only is it possible, it's mandatory. And when I say the church, I mean Jesus. I mean the life that He's called us to. It cannot be a byproduct. And then we wonder and ask God, how come and how this and why not? He left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Which is why an example, actually, in, in certain life groups, one of their standard or, or practices to do exactly that. They discuss the sermon from Sunday within the home group. Let's see, let's unpack what he really meant, what the Bible really says, right? So here he is, Jesus preaching to the crowds the parable of the tares and the seed falling among the thorns on the road between the rocks and the good soil. And then he's done with the sermon, walks away, and the disciple says, okay, let's go in the house now, tell us, what did you really mean? The ministry of a life group. He's taking the Word of God and driving deep to savor that living water that comes out and changes and encourages, strengthen you with life. Think of the two disciples on the road. They're walking away from, from Jerusalem. They're disobedient. They no longer believe what has happened. And Jesus joins them. And the greatest Bible study ever held is He talks to them about Jesus all throughout from Genesis to the last book of Malachi. And here's I Am. Not only Jesus lived, exemplified, and patterned for us life groups, small groups, but the first church. As I mentioned earlier, Acts 2.46. And day by day, attending the temple together, we get together on Sunday, we celebrate, we sing, we preach, we praise the Lord, we fellowship. But 
breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. That means they were at peace and they were grateful for what God was doing and the way that they were giving their lives over for the gospel and the church and the Lord Jesus. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. You don't need a better preacher for the church to grow. We've seen too many churches staffed with prima donnas living their lives as such and leading many astray and destroying homes. God adds to the number of the church as the church is healthy. And that begins with the Word of God in home groups called life groups. Philip runs across the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading the Bible, the, uh, the book of Isaiah, or a scroll from the book of Isaiah, or a copy of the book of Isaiah by himself, has no idea what he's reading. And here's Philip, he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? I'm glad you asked. Who is the prophet talking about himself or another? And there starts the Bible study. The Bible study that leads this man to say, I want this Jesus. There's water. What's stopping me? I want to be baptized. I want this new life from a one-on-one home group in a chariot Bible study. You think of Peter in the household of Cornelius. The angel had to drag Peter by the feet and and his hands. You got to go. You got to go. No, I'm not going. You got to go. And he goes. And the Lord had already prepared the hearts of these people. So it's not just discipleship that happens in a home group. But it's evangelism that happens in a home group. Because Cornelius could never enter the temple because he was a Gentile. But a Christian Jew could enter his house. Not a Jew, but a Christian Jew. And he talked about Jesus. And the whole household within this Bible study says, we want this good news. We want this Jesus. There's power in the ministry of a life group. And obviously we know about Aguila and Priscilla doing home group Bible study with Apollos, which was a great preacher. And they're teaching him the doctrine and all about Jesus he did not know. Acts chapter 20, 20 tells us plainly how even Paul and the apostles, they taught in small groups, in life groups, home groups. It says this, Paul says, But I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house. Even his own house in Acts 28, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's renting out an apartment and he stayed there for two years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and unhindered. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to follow the examples of the apostles in the first church, If you want to begin to be plugged in and rooted and established and walking, it begins by being a missional church. The mission to invade the neighborhoods. We are responsible for the neighborhood and community here and every single community that surrounds your own house. We've made a map with where everyone lives To see where we want these groups to take place as the Lord moves your heart to open your homes. 
And we are strategically placed all the way from Emmet to Cuna to the hills of Boise. God has planted a net with our families for all those who are your neighbors to hear the good news. And there's power that God wants to use through this life group ministry that is beginning in our midst. And so we begin slowly to unpack this. And I challenge you to read and study, to grow to a conviction of why we are called to let our lives mesh. Come into my home. Can I come into your home? Invite your neighbors to your home. Open up the doors. Let the Lord Jesus shine, for that is what we're called to. Christ calls us out of this world to fulfill His will in our lives in spirit and truth. We are the church that Christ invested Himself in for us. Lord Jesus, You know our deeds in ourselves and our churches. Forgive us our trespasses and call us to repentance in You alone. As we confess our sins, You will hear from heaven and forgive our sin. For only through You, Lord Jesus, will we be saved for life everlasting. Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone, 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.